Welcome to episode 105 of the PharmExec podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, Editor-in-Chief of PharmExec Magazine, here along with my co-host, social media editor, Miranda Schnaufis. PharmExec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest insights to master the science of success. On this week's episode, Miranda and I have the pleasure of speaking with Ralph Henger, area head of Latin America at Roche Pharma. Rolf talks about the current pharma landscape in Latin America and his experiences as a leader in this area. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Rolf. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at truesterumntwk.com. Hello, podcasters. Today, Miranda and I will be interviewing Rolf Henger, area head of Latin America at Roche Pharma. Rolf is here to discuss the challenges and opportunities of being a pharma leader in Latin America today. Thank you for joining us, Rolf. Thank you, Elaine and Miranda, and I'm very, very happy to be here together with you and your listeners of PharmaExec podcast. We're really happy to have you too, Rolf. So what's your background in pharma and how have your experiences over the years influenced your position? Yeah, thanks. I'm basically a frustrated physician, so I wanted to study medicine, but there were certain circumstances that actually made me not to follow this career dream. So I studied economics and then we are detouring completely different industries in, uh, in Moscow. I joined Roche, that's now 29 years ago, for Central Asia and the Caucasus. And well, then it, it immediately made click within me because I saw the connection of medicine and what I really wanted to do in the pharmaceutical industry. I actually think that in the pharmaceutical industry, we can do more than for patients that any individual physician actually could do, probably. So then 25 years ago, I came to Latin America. So this was actually more of a, a chance because I, I thought I would go to Asia and then came to Latin America and got the Latin American fever so, uh, and stayed. And I took the decision to stay and concentrate working for emerging markets because I think we can really make a difference here. I think I can give you an example so you, you can still enormous difference by, for example, making that hemophilia patients in a, the first time in the history get access to treatment in a certain country. And this kind of stories, I don't think that you can create in the developed markets or it's much harder to do that. And here there is so many opportunities. So that's exactly why I concentrated my work on emerging markets and especially on Latin America. I think as well that what I've probably learned most in these years is that health system challenges is probably what we need to focus on. And the more we get systemic in it, the more our approach is systemic and less focused on a single drug or a therapeutic area, the more we can do something for sustainability of the health system. And I think this is, uh, this is for me today, one of the things I learned and where I absolutely concentrate on. You know, one of the greatest impacts to Latin America over the past few years has been COVID. Could you discuss how the pandemic uniquely affected this region and its systems? 
Unfortunately, LATAM has been the most effective region if you look in excess tests and other of the measures. But I think the COVID-related is not the only issue that we actually face in the region. There is an enormous backlog of diagnostics or doctor visits that have to be postponed or were never done and treatments that have never been started. And this has very severe consequences for the health systems. Basically, what we can say is that the available infrastructure could not cope with the burden of treating COVID patients and with the normal flow of patients that, that would exist. Now, why this is so important? If you look at, for example, a cancer patient that in a routine visit to a physician could have been detected in an early stage still, and in an early stage, you probably still have a cure. Now, this cancer probably has advanced leading that the issue is that the cancer can actually not be cured anymore. The treatment will be to prolong life if, if it's available. And which is male means that the cost for the health system on average is at least double. Well, this is not the only impact because in the current circumstances, probably there is no necessary care available. So there will be continuous fight to try to find for these patients afterwards uh, the best possible treatment. And because there's a complete overload. Now you can imagine this is as well, not only an impact on the person itself, but on society. Because if you think about the young mother that would have been detected with breast cancer or ovarian cancer, that could be cured. If that's not the case anymore, you have afterwards as well a burden for society to probably take care of orphans, which can happen. And I think this is what I see is the biggest impact that we had. And I think in this sense, the pandemic has laid open the serious gaps in infrastructure and healthcare professionals that we have in the region. And I think that's going to be very important that we don't forget that when we get into post-pandemic phase and need to think about how do we adapt health systems for the future. So how is health a key investment to drive socioeconomic development in Latin America? So I think the pandemic has been a very good example of the interdependence of health and economics. Now, what we can say is that with a sound economic development, there are enough economic resources to be able to strengthen the health systems. While on the other hand, without the resilient health system, the population pays actually a very, very high price for the shortcomings. Now in LATAM, you can see that in the form of the share of the out-of-pocket expenses in the health system, and some of them, they are pretty high. There are more than 30% of the, of the total spend in health. Well, there are actually reports that say that for each dollar that you spend in health, it generates at least 1.6 to the double in the economy. That's actually for me very interesting as an economist because that's something that I learned more than 30 years ago at the university. Now, if I look at the pharmaceutical companies and Roche that we work in innovation, I think there's a lot that we can actually do to make health systems more resilient and better prepared for the future. So one of it is our work in clinical trials because what we do, we don't expose only patients free of charge to, to this, in the system to new therapies and to the best of the class, but even the comparative very often is not available in the public system. We just help to create modern clinical practices. What I mean, so it's a lot of structure, how to make sure that we go over again and, and things like that. So on the other hand as well, we can be catalyzers by working on the health efficiencies and that because we can provide therapies that actually reduce the cost to society. And I think I mentioned before already, hemophilia is a very good example, because when you think about a patient that would have had bleeds, 
and doesn't need to go anymore. It doesn't have bleeds anymore because of the therapy. And you don't have to go to more anymore to the hospitals. And you don't have to go to, or the caregiver doesn't have to accompany and take care of the patient anymore every day. I think you can return these caregivers to work. And you see that this is actually a good example of the impact of modern therapies in society and reducing the cost. And I think cancer is another good example because the early interventions, what they do, they are much more effective, but as well, the health system costs are considerably lower. It's actually very often said that in early cancers, you would be afterwards spending half of the cost than if you have an advanced cancer. And I think this kind of thing, it has, of course, as well, a very good impact on the families. Therefore, I think we can see, well, from a systemic point, but as well what we do as a pharmaceutical industry, there's a very close connection between health and the economy. What are the specific challenges and opportunities Latin America faces when it comes to building sustainable health systems? Well, of course, there are considerable differences between the countries in LATAM. So you have some health systems that are more robust and invest probably something like 8% in public health, while you have others that invest only about 3%. Now, this is a huge difference. However, it's not only important the number of total spend, it's really equally important is the quality of the spend and the execution of the budgets, which I think is, is another focus that we need to look at. Now, what I think is important and is that we need to look at health not as an expense, but an investment. And if you consider health as an investment, I think there is a completely different vision of what needs to be done in order to make the health system more resilient. There are, of course, in, in Latin America, a lot of opportunities in applying digital tools or to make health systems more sustainable. For example, you know that the pandemic has showed us very clear what is the potential of telehealth, for example. What I see here is that the use of new technologies, they can actually as well create much more personalized um, intervention, what we call the personalized healthcare which as well has a lot of efficiencies in the system because you don't try everybody the same. You really do the diagnostics and then give the patient what, what's best for, for him and what has the biggest chance to, uh, to solve it. And there is obviously as well, the systems, especially where there is low financing, I think the discussion is about can we increase the financing by applying thin taxes or as well can we think about other, other ways in order to find the system, the system financing so that you get out of the enormous gaps that exist and close the gaps for the patients. So there's a lot of things that we need to do to make the health systems more effective for the future. And I think we as pharmaceutical industries, we can be partnering this with the ideas, with the work that we can do, we, with the, how we put people around to help the health systems. So how is the regulatory framework evolving in this area? Well, I think what we have seen is that there's a lot of technological advances and what we need that the regulatory authorities really adapt. Now, for example, you can do this, and, and I used the example of telehealth before. So in telehealth, some of the countries have completely changed legislation during COVID, which I think is a very important change that happens now. But there are as well other things that you can look at. So, for example, how do we allow the use of real-world data as an evidence in registrations in the future? And I think this is another one that has enormous differences. You can imagine that in clinical trials, the comfort in the future is real-world data. The health systems accept this. I think we can 
save a lot of patients and, and be much, much faster getting approvals in the recruitment of clinical trials. So I think there is another point that we have seen as well during COVID times that has had improvements. It's real, what we call reliance. So that is, for example, we always asked ourselves, does it really make sense economically and as well from a regulatory point of view that all regulatory authorities go to visit and inspect plants around the world? Or can we rely more, and that's why the word reliance, can we more rely on the reference agencies to certify for the others? I think we, in all these things, we have seen progress, but I think it still needs an evolution so that our patients get faster and safe access to, to innovations. What is the role and responsibility of the private sector to be a trusted partner to the public sector? Well, I'm convinced that the collaboration between the private partners and the governments are absolutely essential because at the end, we want all the same. A healthy population that when it has a need, it gets what is best for them. So I think this is common interest that exists. In this respect, I'm a very happy co-founder of the Movement Health 2030. So what's the Movement Health 2030? So we founded this as a platform that has the objective to improve health systems and as well to prepare the health systems better for the changing epidemiological profile of the society. And it's called the platform because it's open to everybody that has an interest in health, in public health, and wants to invest in improving the health systems. And I think what is important, it's not only about diagnosing what needs to be done for the future. So in the future, that's why it's called 2030. It's as well, how do we use innovations that probably exist or probably need to tweak in order to be adapted to the health system problems that we can identify? In this respect, I think there's a lot of potential in these collaborations to make health systems more resilient. And actually, I would say I'm extremely happy to see the engagement of the health leaders throughout LATAM and as well we rolled it out in other parts of the world, where you see that there is a genuine interest to solve real health systems issues together. And you can be industries on the table, you can be government officials, former health ministers, and so on, on the tables and, they, and think about the problems, a very big commitment in order to, do, to make a difference. So I think for everybody that is interested, there is a website called www.movementhealth2030.com. Uh, so I think that's where you can get more information. But I think it's just the showcase that there is a lot of potential where industry and governments can come together and solve the real issues for the people. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. It's been really interesting learning about the role of pharma in Latin America. Thank you. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At TrueSterum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? audience-fed creative, and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at truesterumntwk.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from Pharma Execs. Hi, I'm Rolf Hünger. I'm the area head of Latin America for Roche Pharma. And... My leadership tip is to stay curious and ask a lot of questions. I think what I've learned is don't assume that you know all the answers. 
And once you ask and get the answers from the colleagues, agree on the vision, but let the team find the way to realize it, because there is always more than one way to get to the goal. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at FarmExec, on Instagram at FarmExecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editor-in-Chief Elaine Quilici at E-Q-U-I-L-I-C-I at MJHLifeSciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at T-B-A-K-E-R at MJHLifeSciences.com.